Across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. The food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to our Easter edition of Flavour. We've lots about local food and drink, free food in and around Cambridge, a huge amount of food and drink news, and at the end, a selection of local food-related jobs. I'm Matt Bentman and here's Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with a little more detail. Yeah, we'll be uh, finding out about Easter foods and what they represent. Uh, and it's also Passover, and the food eaten to celebrate that is full of symbolism too. So we'll be hearing more about that. And Easter Sunday looks like a perfect day for a walk. So with some foraging tips from the foraging chef Steve Thompson. Away from Easter, I've been to the White Cottage Bakery to find out about their bread-making courses. And I visited a new Turkish cafe that's open in Mill Road, which offers something interesting and different. Right now, we're halfway through the Christian festival of Easter. We're halfway through the Jewish week of Passover and halfway through Muslim Ramadan, with Eid expected in two weeks' time. We're not a religious programme, but we are interested in food, and we thought we'd find out what foods are associated with those festivals. On our next programme, we'll find out about foods associated with Eid, but on Wednesday, I asked Miri Rubin, a Cambridge resident who is also a specialist in medieval history at Queen Mary University of London, about Passover, what it celebrates, what food is eaten, and what the food symbolises. It's fascinating. Passover is the festival that commemorates the exodus from Egypt when the Israelites, after about several, several generations of uh, being sort of subservient and being sort of servants, really, and slaves to the, uh, to the pharaohs, to a whole series of them, were ultimately, it is believed, it is told, released and led out of Egypt by Moses, crossing the Red Sea with a whole series of extraordinary miracles, as it were, operated by God, and ultimately, after a long journey of years and years in the desert, arriving, as it were, in the Promised Land. And I know that during Passover, you don't eat leavened bread, but I wonder whether there's anything that you eat to specially commemorate or celebrate Passover. Is there a a special meal, for Indeed, example. Indeed, there is. This is the meal of all meals, and it's called the seder, which means the order, because it's a very ordered, it's a very structured meal. It's not just like putting things on the table and people just help themselves. It has a total structure because the foods, there are lots of symbolic foods that unfold throughout the evening. But the most important organizing principle of this meal is. It's a meal, but it's also a lesson. It's a very didactic, very teacherly occasion whereby 
parents pass on to children the story of Exodus in every generation and every year. So there are foods that are really not very filling to start with because they each have a symbolic function. You bless them, you share them, you you make a little sandwich with them, whatever. And then when the story up to a certain point in the evening and we follow a book in order to know where we are in the evening, we stop and have a proper meal, as it were, with the roast lamb traditionally, with various other foods that Jews in different countries have different traditions. If you can't leaven things, if you can't be using yeast or raising agents, then that restricts what you can eat. What about cakes? Can you eat cakes? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Believe me, my Passover cookery books have the most amazing cakes. And of course, instead of um, flour and leavening agents, you use uh, other, so you use eggs. So, and do you do this yourself? Oh, totally. I'm just about to go and, and, and bake, actually, a really nice uh, poppy seed and chocolate uh, cake and it has uh, six eggs in it. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to bake a cake that has 12 eggs in it. And a friend today said that apparently they've run out of eggs in uh, in um, in Sainsbury's near him in North London. So I wonder if there's a connection. <laughs> no, but people have been very inventive, you know, a lot of ways of sort of using. And you use other types of flowers. So, for example, potato flour is used. So, um, yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, lots of cream and lots of uh, melted chocolate and lots of um, almonds, ground almonds, ground nuts in order to create that base, the solid base for a cake. So, yeah. yes. OK, so that's outside of the traditional meal then. This is the sort of thing that you would eat on a, other occasions for fun. in the week. In fact, it's going to be my dessert tomorrow night at the Seder. I'm just going to slip it in there, but <laughs> yes. Sounds very, very good. And then after that, there's a sort of continuation of just sort of praising, uh, praising the name of God, Hallel, by singing and chanting and uh, going on. And as one of the rabbis cited in this handbook for for Passover, for the Passover meal, which we call the Haggadah, the telling book, as one of the rabbis in there who's quoted says, and the more you do it, the better is. And if you do it until sunrise, all the better. But of course, for most people, it's the meal itself that's really important. And there are all sorts of stratagems to keep children interested and sitting there as long as possible. Okay, so what sort of things are in the meal? And what's their, what's their sim symbolism? Okay, so there's this platter, and I've brought one to show you here. Unfortunately, this is just it's radio, but you can see it says Pesach, which is Passover in Hebrew in a traditional uh, design. On a platter in the middle of the table, there will be a number of symbolic foods. There will be bitter herbs to represent the bitterness of slavery. So we use something like uh, maybe parsley, uh, celery, and you dip it in salt water, which represents the tears, the tears of the Israelites as they there'll be a sort of a mashup of wonderful uh, fruits like apples and dates and honey uh, and raisins in order to uh, represent something that looks like uh, mortar or cement, the building of the pyramids, the hard labor, but also is really sweet because that is behind us as it were and now uh, we are free. So there are lots of different uh, um, um, symbolic foods and ultimately one would traditionally reach the the lamb the 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 passover roast and that of course was the meal that christ had with his disciples on the thursday before the friday 
of, of the passion, of his passion, of his crucifixion. So that is exactly what they were doing. They were preparing that meal. That is why he had on the table, he had wine and bread, unleavened bread, uh, on the table, uh, which of course then allowed him to develop the Eucharist, the bread and wine that are so central to the Mass in the, in the Christian tradition. Every home, every synagogue together with the home became the centers for the religious experience, as it were. And it is in those centuries, those very early centuries, which of course are also the centuries when Christianity is developing, was the time when the Haggadah, this sort of handbook and the, the rituals related to it, uh, developed. Right, and it's still carried on in Jewish households across the world Everywhere, now. everywhere. And it's in fact, it's considered a good deed to bring anyone you know to your Seder who might not have a Seder, who might not be with a family, who might not be... I mean, anyone today, tomorrow, who finds himself travelling, uh, uh, stranded in some... anywhere around the world, they can just ring up, look up, you know, where there is a lo local Jewish family or community and they will be found a Seder to join. Yes. It is that central to the Jewish experience. Yes. And some of the other... Did you mention the egg? Yes, the egg is quite interesting because one of... On that platter, which we see here, another thing is having the egg. And the egg is both a symbol of mourning, but it is also a symbol of new life and beginning, which is sort of perfect for this festival of contradictions, remembering slavery, but celebrating and hoping for freedom. And for Israelis and anyone who cares about uh, uh, Israel, uh, uh, this year in particular, it's very poignant because the theme of freedom against an oppressive uh, government uh, has been very central to what's happening in the streets. So indeed, and I've brought you here to show this year, in these last few days, uh, a group of uh, leading public intellectuals, very famous people like David Grossman, like Edgar Keret, uh, filmmakers, poets, writers, have rewritten the Haggadah, combining this, this guidebook for the Seder, combining in it new writings of their own about uh, keeping the traditional structure, but also inserting poems and other sayings and writings that, as it were, reflect today's meaning. Because although there is a structure to the Haggadah, I, for example, every year in my Haggadah, I encourage those who come to bring something that's new or that's relevant. And we have materials, for example, from, from, from the ghettos and from the concentration camps that have been preserved that attempts of people to sort of reflect their own reality in the telling of this story. Because the story of the yearning for freedom for Jews and, of course, for, for all others is an ongoing story. Absolutely. OK, Miri, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I'm ashamed to say there's much in what Miri said that I didn't know about. And it was good to hear about the concern expressed by many in the Haggadah that Miri mentioned about the oppressive government. And let's hope that that helps to bring about some good. It doesn't apply only to Israel, of course, but it is a concern and increasingly so. However, we won't stray too far into politics. Uh, instead, let's find out about some of the foods eaten by Christians at Easter and what they symbolise. Sue, I was wondering particularly about the Easter egg and hot cross buns. 
possibly there's other things? Well, there are a few other things as well, but certainly Easter eggs. They're very much symbolic of life and therefore the crucifixion and the resurrection. And Easter eggs, interestingly, were originally stained red in memory of the blood of Christ, of Christ on the yes. cross. Yeah, oh, very gosh, much so. Right. And, well, actually, our chocolate Easter eggs, of course, everyone loves, <laughs> they first came into the scene in the 1870s. From so very recent, well, comparatively recent. Comparatively <laughs> That's recently, not very yes, recent. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I've got some ancient, well, probably... Victorian moulds for making Easter eggs oh. and Easter rabbits. <laughs> they're quite difficult to make, though, if you try and do them yourself. And, of course, there are a few other things. So, obviously, chocolate, you can have that after the 40 days of Lent. And there was something called a tansy pudding, which was always very traditional up until the 1930s. I've never heard of it. What's in a tansy pudding? Well, tansy pudding is basically made with tansy flour, which, if you have it in excess, is poisonous. So, you only have one small slice of, put- of this tansy pudding and so it's basically sugar the tansy flowers which look a bit like sort of tansy buttons and a batter and oh. it's meant to sort of purge you after the um, potential bean eating of the <laughs> of the lent period and of course then there's hot cross buns which we all love well, well the cross is clearly as the symbol of the cross. Oh, indeed, the cross. Yeah. But it's only fairly recently, again, probably in the last sort of 80 or so years, that the idea of piping a paste on the top as oh, a cross. It used oh, to just be a cut cross right. before then, yeah. interestingly. Yeah. And then the things in it, which were the spices represent what the spices in the, the bands wrapped around Jesus's body. And uh, then the fruit, the peel, it represents the bitterness of, again, his time on the cross. So there's a lot of symbolism Right, there. and the, the, the bitter peel is, or the bitterness is also in the, the seder that Indeed, uh, it's Miri was talking about before. Isn't it? There yeah. are so many similarities, actually. Yes, it's there are indeed. Yeah. We could go on, but... <laughs> and of course, Easter, as you've just said, marks the end of Lent, so many people will resume partaking of whatever they gave up for 40 days. It's a long time. I gave up wine one year. Really, it was just to see if I could do it. Well, did you manage it? Uh, Well, the day before Good Friday, we had a visitor that we hadn't seen for a long time, so obviously you get a bottle of wine out, Mm. and it'd be rude not to share. Yeah, but if you manage 39 days, that's (laughs) not bad. But I did manage 39. That's not bad. It was a long time. And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app and that exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. Yeah, and today's look at Olio for Cambridge shows us that Grace near Fenditton, she's having a clean-out of her kitchen cupboards so she's getting rid of plenty of tins, pots and packets, things like tin tomatoes, carrots, peas, gravy granules, you name it. Meanwhile, Charlie, off Huntington Road, has a few packs of Belgian buns and soft rolls to give away. Nick in Arbury has tins of sliced carrots, chilli con carne and cream of tomato, and leek and potato soup, actually. And Tom on Hills Road has one of those big glass kilner jars full of pasta. That's for anybody who wants it. And Leela in Trumpington, she has a box of organic garlic granules. And that's just a few of the things that caught my eye on the Oleo app today. I'm quite intrigued by Charlie off Huntingdon Road's packs of Belgian buns. What are Belgian buns? Does anybody 
Is that uh, Eastern or Belgian uh, bun? A uh, Belgian oh, bun, big ice buns. It, it's an ice bun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, are yeah. they? Right, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, there's another free app called Too Good To Go. It has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Uh, and rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag. So it's ready for you to take home, and that is instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. Okay, now for this next feature, we take a trip to Mill Road. Just over the bridge on the Romsey side, there's a new Turkish cafe that's opened. Opened in the last fortnight, in fact. It's called Botany Foodie. And let's make that Turkish with a slightly little tea, because you can find plenty of traditional British cafe fare there too. And I'm sure they would like me to point that out. But here, we're going to focus on some of Botany Foodie's Turkish offerings. And to start with, I think they might be the only place in Cambridge that sells warm nuts. Yeah. We, yeah, only place in Cambridge that sells warm nuts. They are full-size nuts, <laughs> which is what we like. I think what's been the most popular is the pistachio and honey and cinnamon. Honey and cinnamon, caramelised, roasted cashews and pecans. <laughs> that has been really, really popular. So we've got <laughs> honey and cinnamon. <laughs> yummy nuts, <laughs> yummy hot chocolate. We've got almond, we've got cashew and what was the other one? Pecan. Pecan, yeah. It's, they've just been so popular. People yeah. are like, oh. All the nuts, you can get them from the other shops as well, but those three has been amazing. It's just one of our best-selling ones at the moment. Mm. Hi, I am Omar. Hi, I'm Zara. We are the owner of, of the Botany Foodie on Mill Road. And please come, visit, taste. More than welcome. <laughs> when you walk into Botany Foodie, the new cafe on Mill Road by the bridge, the first thing you'll see is a counter full of nuts. Nuts displays, it keeps the nuts warm. And they invite you to taste the nuts, the Turkish delight, and more in their shop. It's part of their way. I tried some of the flavoured coated peanuts, which are great cold, but when they're toasted warm, they're really lovely. We don't want them to leave with the question mark, because when you taste, you, you, you will decide why it or not. Well, it's a good part of their business, and their business began during Covid selling nuts online. Yeah, that's how it started. It was his idea, and we can just deliver it to their doors. Sounds like a good plan. So he just started with pistachios, because the pistachios are from his own town. My hometown. Yeah. yeah. Which is? Seared, southeast part of Turkey. Mm -hmm. And the pistachio trees grow top of the mountains, really, and then all the time sunshine. That's why even the color and the taste is so different than any other pistachios, and it's very unique. Yeah, people are not having this one. They said, oh, I'm not fan of pistachio, and then suddenly ended up like one kilo eating nonstop because it's very addictive, you know? Mainly, I couldn't find the, like, fresh and good taste nuts for myself and also Turkish delight, because mainly Turkish delight in the UK is chocolate-covered, gelatin, and I said, why not make it even healthier way? Like, don't put any artificial, no glucose or gelatin in it. Like, yeah, most of the Turkish delights, they suit me for vegans, mm. except the, the chocolate, chocolate ones. ones. Yeah, because so there's a the milk 90, in it. Yeah, yeah mm. because of the milk and the butter inside the chocolate, mm. but the rest are suitable for vegans. When I popped in here last week, mm -hmm. you gave me a slice of 
lemon Turkish delight. Yes. And that made me realize that I've never tried authentic Turkish delight before. It's yeah. always been some kind of synthetic British Doesn't manufacture. Yeah. And it was so delicate. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this lemon Turkish delight made with real lemons. I was yes. expecting something either sharp or bitter, but it was, it was really beautiful. And it wasn't over the top in terms of its sweetness. It yes. was. Again, I think just the right level, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's the same thing with the like, you know, we've got different flavors such as banana, orange, rose, even plain. Yeah, please keep carry on. What did you feel like, you know, <laughs> after the, the lemon, which is like... It made me tell lots of people, like, this is the place to come if you want to taste authentic Turkish delight. If you've mm-hmm. spent your entire life growing up where the only reference to Turkish delight was in a very cheesy British advert. Turkish delight, full of Eastern promise. But also, I think it was in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where one of the characters was seduced by Turkish delight. What would you like to eat best? Turkish delight. It shall be. Delicious. Mm. Good. So when you see that as a child, you're desperate to know just why this is such a beautiful thing to try. Yes. Usually in the UK, when you say the Turkish delight or sweet, it reminds the people Christmas. But the thing is, like, we have all year around, like, you know, because it's so nice. We don't have to wait, like, any celebration for it, you know? So many flavors of Turkish delight available. We have, like, a pomegranate ones, pomegranate with grapes. We have pomegranate with pistachios, or we have coconut flavored. We have the fruit flavour, like he was saying earlier, like um, sun-dried apricots or the normal yellow apricot or the fig ones. Or they can choose the cream-filled ones. They can choose the hazelnut ones. Just the grape itself mixed with pomegranates. And we have like a white one, which is marshmallowy. So marshmallow nuts, I would say. Or the ones like you like said, lemon. Nougat. Yeah, yeah soft nougat, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have like different flavours plain without nuts. So orange flavour, banana flavour, or rose flavour, which is very classic one, rose flavour. Actually, so, the authentic one is also with the grape molasses and uh, walnut dipped in it. Yes, it's, we have this very like, special you know, one actually. Turkish, it's got, like, you know. S- sweet sausage, this is what we call yeah. So what they do is they take the nuts, they put it through a thread, then they dip it into great molasses, then they dry it. Hanging under the That's, sunshine. And That's you taste, probably you taste the sunshine, full yeah. of vitamin D. <laughs> that is very different, yeah. We, we get yeah. people like, oh, what is this? It looks like a sausage. It does look like a sausage. We actually call it sausage as well in Turkish as well. But we like, this is how it's made. It's literally walnut with quite molasses and it's, it's organic as well. But all that tradition, obviously, we have got like dessert, baklava and dry fruits, but we also wanted like all that Turkish tradition mixed up with the British tradition. That's why we have got baguettes, paninis, and as an espresso machine, all the hot drinks. Oh, yeah. Would you like some Turkish delight, my child? Not particularly. You got any kebabs? Customers, they love the idea because it's not just focused on one tradition because we live in the UK and people are not kind of, you know, they're happy to go with the different flavor. They just want to stick on the whatever one. And then, okay, we already have that one, like, you know, and then, like, you know, it's keep them happy, you know, yeah. 
Most of the coffee shops is shut at five o'clock, but we are open till 10 o'clock. And people are very thankful after work. And when they are happy, we feel much happier. Yeah. Alma and Sarah, thank you so much for letting <laughs> me come and chat with you guys, uh, especially on such a busy weekday evening as we are. We're surrounded by lots of people. We've all yeah, yeah, yeah. So I better let you get back to it. Thank you, <laughs> thank actually. You. We want to thank you too. It's lovely to have you. No uh, worries. Uh, that's we love good. doing this. That's good. That's good. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank I can you. see thank that. You. And you're listening to Flavor on Cambridge 105 Radio. And the name, Botany, Fruity. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, many thanks to Omar and Sarah, the owners of Botany Foodie on Mill Road, the Turkish cafe that sells nuts, dry fruits, Turkish delights, all vegan, by the way, and plenty more, such as paninis, baguettes, cakes as well, chocolate velvet cake, lemon cheesecake, pistachio heaven. You can follow Botany Foodie on Instagram at botany underscore foodie. And incidentally, the music that you could just hear in the background of that feature, Cherry Blossom Girl by the French band Air. That was my unsubtle reference to the cherry blossom tree that takes up a corner of their cafe and attracts plenty of attention. Uh, it also adds to the lightness of their place. That was Sarah's idea. And there's a decent amount of seating outside as well, as more cafes tending to put their chairs outside in Mill Road for the weather that's getting warmer lately. Well, on to our first news break now. And welcome back to Vanderlyle after its two-week pop-up in St Leonard's. Bookings for Vanderlyle in May in Mill Road opened last Tuesday. Welcome back too to Novi in Regent Street, which reopened earlier in the week after refurbishment. Chef Bell Solston will be cooking at the next Hidden by Pudini Supper Club on the 22nd of April and tables can be booked now. Meanwhile, the Pudini pop-up in Saffron Walden on the 28th of April has sold out. Slightly out of our area, but nevertheless hello to the Yard in Ely. It's a new eating and drinking area built from shipping containers with a coffee bar, a restaurant selling burgers and street food, a wine, beer and cocktail bar and indoor and outdoor seating. It's the brainchild of coffee roaster Silver Oak, which supplies Maison Clement with coffee and used to have a stall on Cambridge Market. It's open 9am to 9pm Tuesday to Thursday and 9 till 10pm on Fridays, Saturday and Sundays. It's closed on Mondays. Prana in Mill Road has a new Sunday sharing menu. It's available on Sundays, obviously, from 12 till 2pm and from 5 till 10pm. And the food is very reasonably priced and nicely served. Chin Chin Bakery's donuts are now available on Fridays from both branches of Meadows and also from the Flourish Farm Shop. And if you're looking for an interesting lamb dish, Mark Poynton at MJP The Shepherds has a crispy lamb shortbread with root vegetables and a lamb broth as a small plate or starter. Meanwhile, Mark is offering tasting menus of up to nine courses at Caster Hall Country Hotel near Norwich, Wednesday to Saturday evenings and Thursday to Saturday lunchtimes. There's a wine and pizza tasting at Scott's All Day in Mill Road with wines from James Thorne. This is on the 25th of April from 5.30 to 8.30, a cost of £37.50. There will be six wines from around the world with matching pizza slices, and for that you can book at scottsallday.com. 
Coco Roaster Anisa, together with Ria Falvo of Bumble and Oak Chocolates and organiser of the Cambridge Chocolate Festival, are hosting a chocolate tasting at Meadows in Mill Road on the 27th of April from 6.30 till 8pm. Tickets and more details are available on Eventbrite. Also at Meadows, there's an informal drinks evening with Sam Adams, who used to do the amazing drinks at Vandalisle. Sam will be serving a range of his no and low alcohol drinks with small plates, cheeses and charcuterie from Meadows. Book online using the Juno drinks or Meadows Instagram links and there are various time slots available. There's a £10 deposit which will be taken off your bill on the night. And finally for now, Heath Fruit Farm in Bluntisham has some tours of its orchard on the 15th of April. They start on the hour, the first is at 10am and the last starts at 1pm. And it's a big and interesting site with a fantastic structure to keep birds from eating cherries off the trees. We'll have more news later. Coming up on Flavour, a visit to the White Cottage Bakery and Easter foraging tips from Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. We've also lots more food and drink news and our local job section, but right now we're off for a two-minute break. Don't go away. Cambridge 105 Radio. Right, I think I'll have that one. And, oh, yes, I like him. Oh, and her. I should put that one on, really, shouldn't I? Oh, hello. It's Sue March in here. I'm just getting ready for my show on Saturdays on Cambridge 105 Radio between 2 and 4. I'll be playing you my own selection of music and chatting to a guest or two. I do hope you'll join me. There's the doorbell. Sue Marchant's selection, online, whenever you want it. And Saturday at 2 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Suicide can be prevented, and we can all play our part. One question can save a life. One friend in particular who had been really supportive and been trying to keep me going and keep making contact and keep making me talk and trying to keep me going, realised something was wrong and was trying to contact me. Asking about suicide won't prompt someone to kill themselves. In fact, it will probably help. If you're worried about someone, would you ask directly about suicide? I kind of got to the point, because of all the support that she'd given me, and I could see that, you know, she was desperately trying to get hold of me on my phone, that I did eventually answer her call. Learn how to have a life-saving conversation at stopsuicidepledge.org. Make the pledge and sign up for a Stop Suicide training workshop. I'd ask, would you? Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services is your local award-winning decorating business with a great reputation. Our professional and friendly team can cover all aspects of decorating for domestic, commercial and industrial properties. So whether it's a bedroom makeover or an entire office block that needs repainting, we'll get the job done on budget and on time. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Nick Wombs Professional Painting and Decorating Services to see pictures of our work. Or call us today on 07794 516 291. Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour. Now let's head over to the village of Kingston where Helen Underwood of the White Cottage Bakery spoke to Sue about the courses that she offers. I started baking professionally about 10 years ago. Supplying the local area with mostly sourdough loaves because it wasn't quite so ubiquitous then. And after sort of three or four years of baking commercially, I was asked to run some classes, which I started to do at weekends. And so about five years ago, I took the big leap and decided to stop making bread commercially and just run the kitchens as a training kitchen, which has gone from strength to strength. 
So what type of courses do you do? It, not just baking, or is it everything to do with baking? It's pretty much everything to do with baking bread. So we mostly do bread workshops. So we have a variety of different workshops available from the introduction to bread making, where people learn the basic skills. So people who have never baked before or who have not baked for a while, or even sometimes people who can't seem to get consistent results when they bake will come on that introductory class. We do French bread making where we learn to make baguettes and ebi de blay and panda compagna and all sorts of lovely French breads. And we also run a Italian bread making class where we make all sorts of Italian breads, but also we learn how to hand throw pizzas, which I think is one of those wonderful skills, especially as there seems to be quite a proliferation of those fabulous single pizza ovens that people can buy. I think that things like uni and Gosney make these little individual pizza ovens which are brilliant so learning how to hand throw your own pizzas is, is quite a wonderful thing and then of course right up to sourdough we do a lot of sourdough classes people still learning how to make sourdough I think a lot of people got into it over lockdown and knowing the principles and knowing the actual mechanics are two very different things so I think that people got into it but again we're not getting those consistent results so we're finding a lot of people who are making sourdough but just want a little bit of help with getting that consistency. Yes I'm afraid I'm one of those sort of sourdough people who have tried it and was doing it for about six months and then my sourdough mother got the better of me and I thought no I can't be dealing with you anymore. Well you'll have to make sure you take some away with you and you go today so that you've got some to keep keep again yes you have to keep your sourdough starter nice and healthy in the fridge so. But you are doing some new courses is that right Helen? That's right. We have just put on a new workshop this year. There's dates going through to the summer for our babka buns and brioche. So it's an exploration of enriched doughs, not suitable for vegans, sadly. A lot of butter, eggs and milk used in these doughs, but some, it's, a, it's a delicious one, that one. That sounds really interesting. Tell me what a babka is. So a babka is an Eastern European sweet and rich dough, usually sweet. It comes from the Russian for grandmother because my understanding is that it, it was leftover challah bread that was then used by the grandmother to make something a little bit richer and a little bit more exciting. So typically it can be made with uh, something like a, a cinnamon butter and that makes it really lovely and rich, but also it can be made with chocolate. These are very traditional things that it's made with, but a very rich dough like a brioche. And so when are the courses starting and how long are they and where are they run? Okay, so they're run here in Kingston, which is on the outskirts of Cambridge, about eight miles out. We're not far from Combaton, so sort of west of Cambridge. All our classes start at around 10am in the morning and they can vary in duration. So an introductory class will go on until about three. Everybody has refreshments and lunch during the day. And our longest workshop runs until about 5.30. That's the sourdough. We're taking you from soup to nuts. So if you're, if you're going to be making sourdough from very first mixing of the dough to a finished loaf at the end of the day, you, you need a lot of time. So that's quite a, a long one. And I gather, rather exotically, you run classes in a castle in Italy. That's right. I'm incredibly fortunate to be invited back every year and, in fact, twice a year 
to a beautiful, beautiful castle called Castello di Potentino. It's down in the south of Tuscany, really in the middle of nowhere. It's set on its own little hill in what's known as the Golden Bowl. So it's a a sort of volcanic set of, of hills around it. And we make cheese whilst we're there using the milk from the sheep that you can see grazing and we make beautiful breads and other sweetmeats from uh, from Italy we visit the local hot springs and which uh, have n- natural volcanic hot springs which are just beautiful wonderful and of course we use the olives and the olive oils from the grounds and and also the the grapes at the right time of year we'll use the grapes as well and in fact we use the grapes to make our sourdough starter on the very first day that we start when we run our autumn work workshops there i gather you're sold out for this year but yes yes we so we've sold out for our autumn date but we decided that we for the first time we we're going to put on a may date next year so we'll have an autumn one next year but in the may we, there's lots of foraging to be done so in the autumn we concentrate on the grapes and on the olives it's at the start of the olives uh, season and so we get the first pressings of the new olive oil but in the spring it's very very lush and verdant and it's when you get the very best milk from the sheep for pecorino and ricotta so we get the the most beautiful cheese making process at that time of year so I'm looking forward to that and also the foraging just perfect for foraging we might even get wild cherries in may they just about the right time for that and not only that if we're really lucky the bird song is unbelievable at that time of year in tuscany and the nightingales might just join us Thank you so much. So that was Helen Underwood, White Cottage Baking School. Wow, it was really interesting to talk to Helen and I had a chance to see how she was making sardo. But I, you know what? I really rather fancy going to the Italian course in a castle. Mm, mm, yum. Yeah. <laughs> well, time for some more food and drink news now, uh, beginning with the date of the next Gransden Sunday Market. It's on the 23rd of April, starting at 9am, there will be some new stalls, including the Wheat Sheaf Bakery from Huntingdon. The market is held at Little Gransden in the Village Hall. If you're interested in foraging, then our feature with Steve Thompson coming up on today's programme is for you. And Steve does occasional guided foraging sessions, uh, and they're coming up soon. But if you don't live in the Cambridge area, there are others around the country. John the Poacher, for example, has one in East London every Saturday for £40 a head, and it includes searching for fungi. John, with an H, the Poacher, can be found on Instagram. Further afield, there is some impressive foraging to be done in Scotland and the place to book is Coeur Sauvage, uh, French for wild heart. So Coeur is spelled C-O-E-U-R and Sauvage is savage with a U after the first A, S-A-U. V-A-G-E. It's a company that supplies top chefs in Scotland with foraged ingredients and you can accompany one of their team, Sam Worrell, on a forage. And details of when the foraging takes place are on the Curse of Arge website. And over in Congratulations Corner today are Amphora, which has been open for a year now, although its impact makes it seem a lot longer to Restaurant 22 for the fantastic news that it has a Michelin star. So well done to Sam Carter and the team and congratulations also to Midsummer House which has two Michelin stars. The restaurant is on a spring break after today and will reopen on the 18th but there are some jobs available at Midsummer House and stay tuned for our job section at the end of the programme for details. On to wine news now. The 
The uh, Cambridge Wine Fair takes place on the 21st of May in the Clayton Hotel and it features many of Cambridge's smaller independent wine merchants. The cost is £35 or £60 for two people and there are two time slots, one till 3pm and 3.30 to 5.30pm. Another wine fair, Cambridge Wine Merchants 30th Anniversary Wine Fair, takes place at Cambridge Rugby Club from 5 till 10pm and there'll be 150 wines to try as well as food vans being in attendance. The cost is £25 and the tickets are available online or from one of the Cambridge Wine Merchants branches. And Cambridge Wine Merchants' April wine flight is of South American wines. Four 50ml servings for £14 at the Bridge Street and Cherry Hinton Road branches. So, no booking needed. Tastings coming up at the wine rooms in Hills Road include Loire Whites on the 27th of April and the day before the wine rooms has a New Zealand dinner and wine night for which tickets are still available. And that's the news for today, but we'll have a late catch-up from social media shortly. Well, it's such nice weather for walking at the moment and I spoke to Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, the other day about what we might forage for on a walk. He also told me that he's about to do a series of pop-up meals and some foraging walks. So spring is definitely here now. I mean, we look outside, it's lovely blue skies, you can hear the birds going, the clocks have gone forwards. Um, so we're just going to really talk about what we've been doing since the last time. Probably the plant that most amateur foragers are looking for at this sort of time of year is wild garlic, and that's out in great flow at the moment. What we're doing with that at the moment is a great way to preserve it, is making mayonnaise. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, so wild garlic mayonnaise is something we used to do a lot at the Green Man and it, we used to sell jars and jars of it as well so it's something we're getting going again and a really easy way to make it at home all you need is a pan some veg oil and uh, a thermometer so we just bring up the oil to 80 degrees and then we literally blend it with wild garlic so quantities wise if you were to say get a small tub of wild garlic we do it by volume with this so two parts wild garlic to one part veg oil and that gets you a lovely bright green oil you just blend it until it's cool and then chill it straight away in the fridge that sounds really nice and can you use any oil for that i would always use for anything like mayonnaise and and flavored oils i would always use a neutral oil so something like a cooking veg oil or a sunflower oil or a rapeseed oil something like that i think once you start to go to the extra virgins and stuff then their flavors take over what you're going for so how long would it then keep in the fridge for so with allium oils you're best off acting on the side of caution because botulism does like them so i would keep them for three days really but the best way to store them is to store them in the freezer you store it in the freezer and it will last all year round and then just Use it to make like a normal mayonnaise. Six egg yolks per litre, teaspoon of vinegar, teaspoon of English mustard. Make your mayonnaise and it makes a lovely bright green, really sweet garlicky mayonnaise. And of course you could do little freezer bags of it, couldn't you? So you can do oh. it in bits. Oh, totally. Freezer bags, ice cube trays, anything like that is absolutely wonderful for storing the oils in. Yeah, it will keep all year round in your freezer. That's clever because I did not know that oils would actually freeze. Yeah, yeah, so they freeze. They don't freeze rock solid like a water, but they freeze like a kind of spreadable paste almost. And it's just not going to deteriorate at all. Very clever indeed. So what else have you been up to? So another wonderful thing at the moment is a lot of people's gardens we're looking to. So obviously with permission, but things like flowering currants and magnolias are all out in absolute full bloom at the moment and both make wonderful cordials. They're just absolutely beautiful, especially magnolia, which is really kind of like gingery qualities, but floral, red berry and ginger. So that makes 
that makes absolutely fantastic cordials. Um, other things we're looking at at the moment as well is beech leaves. So we've been harvesting our young beech leaves to make noyau. Recipes for that are on, and for the cordials are all on our Instagram and things like that, so you can find them. And Alexander's is one of my favourites at this time of year. So, Alexander's are part of the carrot family, and at this time of the year we're looking for the buds on them. So the leaves are still great, and you can make oils like you would with wild garlic, or you can make pestos and soups with them. They go wonderful with apple and celeriac, but the buds are where the real magic is. Yeah, so we're looking for the little green buds, the flower buds, which uh, kind of look like young small broccoli. Very, very different flavour, but absolutely wonderful alexander's are quite hard to explain in flavor wise they're quite a flavor profile of their own but if you're going for it it's kind of like celery but really perfumed and peppery now the flower buds are we dry out and we kind of make like a pollen like you would get with fennel pollens and dill pollens and things like that which is really nice just sprinkled over and finished dishes or made into a salt and simple simple things like homemade chips covered in that are just absolutely delightful but another way you can use it is just like a just like a little vegetable and just cook it in a little tiny bit of water and a lot of butter and season it up and it's absolutely fantastic with really rich meats and remind me again what an alexandra exactly looks like so an alexander is well, it's part of the carrot family but it's got more kind of you would say celery-like leaves. It's one to do your research on. The family have got quite a few um, dangerous ones in. Where we are in Cambridge at the moment, the one to really learn is Conium maculatum, which is poison hemlock. But if you go to other areas of the country, then you are looking at hemlock water, drop water is a good one to learn as well. Now, it doesn't really grow in the east of England, and it's very rare. I've seen it like once or twice. But if you find anything that looks like celery or wild parsley down by a river especially, then always beware. But Alexander's, I would say, are one of the easier ones. You can go on websites like Wild Food UK or First Nature, and they have great pictures and will talk you through the identification of the plant much better. And it's easier to do once you've got the pictures in front of you as well. And you don't have to find Alexander's near water do you do they no they are a coastal plant but they've made their way a lot more inland they were allegedly brought here by the romans so a lot of the old roman roads have plants of them along the side and realistically once you're going around at this time of year you can really see them stand out once it's a plant you know you'll see them down a lot of roadsides and once you find one or two they're absolutely everywhere and it's a great one to make a note of where you find them because later in the year when they go to seed their seeds are our version of black peppercorn and they're wonderful I remember you talking about those before. Oh, and any other plants you'd recommend at this time of year or things that you've been doing? Yeah, so another allium, actually, because we talk about alliums quite a lot, but crow's garlic is really one that I always bang on about and love, and it's absolutely in prime at the moment. It looks like chives, and you'll have it, you'll see it all over the roadside at the moment. Have a sniff, have a smell, it'll smell like garlic. Um, it'll be a lot more upright than chives and tends to be a darker colour as well. And it's fantastic. It's one that we don't really use. You don't hear a lot of people using crow's garlic. And just use it like chives. It's, it's a real great one. Egg and crow's garlic sandwiches are one of my absolute favourites. That sounds really yummy. Excellent. And have you got anything else coming up? Yeah, so uh, keep an eye on our social media because we're going to be doing some more foraging tours. We've had our first one of the spring so far. We've got a couple more dates to announce in the next week. And there are going to be quite a few pop-ups coming over the next couple of months in lots of various different locations, none of which have been announced yet and all of which will sell really quickly. So keep an eye on social media and be quick to act. Excellent, thank you. And remind me yours about your social media, how to find you. Yeah, so if you search The Foraging Chef on Instagram or Facebook, Facebook that really comes up with us they're the best ones to use so yeah just type in the foraging chef and it comes up with a lovely picture of me 
brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much, Steve. That's really nice to be thinking about things to be doing perhaps over the Easter weekend. Wild garlic is one of those things I always promise myself I'll use but never do. Do you? Do you, Sue? Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. I've got some dehydrated wild garlic from last year because I thought, oh, I'm <laughs> going to do this. And I've made Steve's oil before now. And, yeah, and I know the secret place for wild garlic, so we need to go off there well, next week. I must follow you round. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Another thing is nettles. I made nettle tea. Do you remember, Matt, a few years ago? On, I do, on yeah. It was delicious. It had this lovely lemony flavour. I've never made it since. But, anyway, I had a, a disastrous experience with nettle soup, which was deeply unpleasant. So I've not been very adventurous like making pesto with nettles. Have you done that? No, so? I've not made pesto with nettles, although we've got enough in our garden at the moment. <laughs> but I have made nettle soup and it was interesting, is all I could say. It looked like brown sludge. I don't think oh, I'm doing well, it again. The trouble, I realised, I discovered later that I'd made it the wrong time of the year after the nettles had gone to seed. Ah, and I think that's why it was so... Fresh and young, I deeply think. Deeply unpleasant. I know, I think fresh and young is the way to go, yes. Uh, yeah, well, if only one could. Yes. Well, quite. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the music signalling time for social news from social media. Yeah, Sweet Pea Market Garden has been on social media talking about when her crops can be bought at farmers markets and it's got a nice list of farmers markets as well so the 15th of april the histon farmers market from 9 till 12 the 16th the hawkston food and craft market 10 till 2 the 23rd grandstons as we've already talked about 7th of may cottenham market community market 9 30 till 12 30 and the 13th of may cambridge farmers market 9 till 1 and you can also order from sweet pea market garden to collect on mondays from harvey's coffee house on the sidgwick site on west road which is part That's of the university beautiful. But we are all welcome to drink coffee there. As you are the the Newnham Coffee, Newnham College Coffee Place. I went for coffee there the other day, actually. Nice. I think it's called the Iris Cafe, and you could just walk in. Wow. And it's delicious, and it's the most beautiful, beautiful building. That's worth knowing. Uh, Flourish Farm Shop has also been on, uh, I think it was Instagram today, to say they, will be, they are open, but they will be closing at 3 o'clock today because of staffing issues. And the Maypole Beer Festival... Uh, an announcement there, it's on from the 22nd to the 27th of May with 50 or more real ales and craft beers. Fantastic. <laughs> well, the food historian Anne Wilson died recently and Sue, I know that you've got a great interest in, in, in food history, so... Is Anne Wilson an important person in your Oh, yes, world? very much so. See Anne Wilson, to give her her proper name. Oh, yes, she died in 95, very recently, and she actually studied classics at Girton, so, you know, got a Cambridge background, oh, good, interestingly. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, what she was is a, really probably the first food historian, um, proper food historian, and she, she is well known for being the librarian at the Brotherton Library in Leeds, in Leeds University, which I've been to, amazing place, fantastic. And she basically, there they have a, a massive collection of cookery books and early printed recipe books. And what she did is she wrote probably one of the 
early significant books called Food and Drink in Britain in 1973, which is, I, I got, I've got it, it's a real Bible. Is it still available? Has it been um, republished? Yeah, no, I think I've it is. I mean, I've, I don't know. My, my copy is well thumbed. <laughs> <laughs> and she also did a book on marmalade, I believe. Well, um, yes, I knew that she'd done a book about mm. marmalade, um, but I've not got it, but I mean... Marmalade is such an important part of my oh, life. Yes. I think I ought to get the Oh, book. yes, it is. And <laughs> that was 1985, but it's still it's still in print, oh, certainly. It? Right. And it's a, a real Bible for marmalade makers and marmalade competitions, of which there are some, Other. particularly in Scotland. But no, she's also very well known for setting up, um, uh, with, with one of her colleagues there, um, the Leeds Symposium on Food History in 1986, which is now, in fact, held in York. And it's now the chairperson of that is um, Ivan Day. And that's happening this year, 20th of May, and I'm doing a paper there, which is rather nice. Oh, right. So what's your paper It's on, going to be on, well, it's about Cambridge feasting, particularly to do oh, with coronations. Right. And I'm sure people have seen the diorama of the 1838 Queen Victoria's celebrations for her coronation um, on Parker's Peace. So yes, I'm going to be I talking about that. Yes, it was yeah. an extraordinary event. Good, I know. Good job there wasn't a thunderstorm as oh, well. I know. I know, I know. I don't think I'd prepared for that. Actually, it was raining the day before. So I've done my research on this. It's fascinating. I, I love this sort of stuff. So Anne Wilson, real, real um, heroine of mine. Right, OK. Well, good to, com good to commemorate her. Indeed. <laughs> And there's Green Onions signalling the start of our job section. And Burwash Lada has a vacancy for a part-time deli assistant, a part-time supervisor and weekend assistants too. You can apply with a CV to info at burwashlada.com and you can also ask for more information from that address too. Cambridge Wine Merchants has vacancies for all positions with a 40-hour working week. Knowledge and experience with wine is desirable but not essential. A CV and covering letter can be emailed to Clive Palsy at cambridgewine.com uh, and Palsy is spelled P-A-W-S-E-Y. Café Foy has full-time and part-time vacancies for front-of-house staff. Send your CV to caféfoy at gmail.com. Brew Project is looking for a barista and a part-time coffee roaster. Midsummer House has vacancies for a sous chef, a chef de party bakery and a chef de party pastry. Uh, it's a five-day week from Wednesday to Saturday and there are five weeks of holiday a year as well. Applications can be made by sending your CV to kitchen at midsummerhouse.co.uk uh, and you can also email that address for more details. And finally, Pint Shop is looking for a sous chef. And that brings us to the end of today's programme. You can catch Flavour on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We're repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And Flavour will also be available as a podcast early next week. Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio this afternoon is Too Good To Be Forgotten. And then it's home with Steffi Callister. But that's all from us. We all hope you have a happy Easter. We'll be back on the 22nd of April with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, good goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.